Hey everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 19. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on September 8, 2018. First off, thank you so much for your patience while I was on vacation for the past week and a half. As a gesture of my gratitude, I am releasing two episodes this weekend. Yes, two episodes. Uh, So what was I doing? I took my dogs on a road trip. We spent two nights in a cabin at a state park in Western Maryland where there was no internet and zero cell coverage. In the case of an emergency, there's an actual phone booth on the park grounds for coin-operated calls, hashtag blast from the past. We enjoyed the quiet, did some hiking, played in the streams, uh, looked for bears. I also finished the edits on my second novel, Project Gecko. From there, we went on to Michigan, where I'm originally from, and visited friends and family, and I had a great time moving my friend's kid into the dorms at my alma mater, Calvin College. Um, However, it did make me feel a bit old, Um, but it was great to be back, um, great to be part of that really important moment. On the fiction front, I've decided to release Bionic Bug, the first book in my series, as a paperback on Amazon sometime in October. It's already available as an ebook on Kobo. You can find it at www.kobo.com backslash ebook backslash bionic dash bug. I'll release Project Gecko as an ebook also on Kobo. I'm thinking October, so stay tuned for further updates. A reminder that if you're enjoying the show, please re- leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time and cost of producing this show for only a few dollars a month please go to www.patreon.com backslash forward slash Natasha Bajma. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And I just want to thank um, my newest patron, Daniel Lee. I was very excited um, to have a new patron supporter. So thank you so much for your support. It means the world to me. All right, let's talk tech. My first headline for this week is an overlap between fiction and technology. The headline is, Why Science Fiction is the Most Important Genre. The article was published in Wired, um, actually came out today. Um, Yuval Noah Harari, I hope I got that right, author of best-selling books Sapiens and Homo Deus, believes that science fiction is the most important genre because it shapes the understanding of the public on things like artificial intelligence and biotechnology, These are likely to change our lives and society more than anything else in the coming decades. Um, This could not be closer to my heart. Um, He thinks that too much of science fiction focuses on outlandish scenarios and authors should grapple with realistic issues to raise public awareness. I read this article with great interest in part because this summer I underwent a personal revelation about my fiction. I've talked on previous episodes about attending Thriller Fest in July and about pitching my mystery series to agents. One of my biggest takeaways from those pitches was that agents viewed me as a science fiction author. That caught me completely off guard because I never thought of myself that way. I was under the impression Star Wars and Star Trek were science fiction and I I love my science fiction. 
but I had no real thought that I was writing in science fiction. So I began digging and I bought a course on science fiction from the Great Course series, which I highly recommend. I'm halfway through and my mind is already blown. I didn't realize, and maybe I should have, that George Orwell, Ray Bradbury, and Margaret Atwood are all considered science fiction authors. So my mystery series takes place 10 years into the future, and I've called it speculative because I'm describing a world that currently does not yet exist. This summer, I realized that the driving force behind my series is really about public awareness, uh, about coping with technological change. We're currently facing an unprecedented number of technological changes on our horizon, and things are changing at exponential speed. And while this fascinates me, and I think it fascinates you, otherwise you wouldn't be listening, it also terrifies me, honestly. And I'm writing the Lara Kingsley series to help readers start thinking about the changes on the horizon and the societal implications. The revelation that I'm a science fiction writer has led me to lean further into this genre. In fact, it led to the birth of a new idea this summer, uh, which I refer to as my super secret project. I'm currently developing plans for a sci-fi dystopian trilogy. If you check out my show notes, I might decide to upload a collage image I created to capture my initial thinking about this. My second headline for today is, and a little bit of good news, Defense Department pledges billions toward artificial intelligence research published in the Washington Post on September 7. I guess it depends on your perspective whether this is great news or not. You may not want the U.S. government spending more money, and I can appreciate and respect that. However, from my point of view, this is fabulous news. You might have noticed that AI is in the news lately. Fears of China overtaking the U.S. on artificial intelligence is on the rise. And it's my view that we've entered a Manhattan Project moment, albeit in peacetime. And what I mean by that is Manhattan Project, as you know, was the project to develop uh, nuclear weapons during World War II. Um, Well, this transformation that's happening in biotechnology and AI is happening in peacetime, and that affects mobilization of resources. On the other hand, whoever gets there first will have a significant advantage. So the Department of Defense is finally getting some skin into the game. It plans to invest up to $2 billion above current funding levels over the next five years, towards new programs advancing artificial intelligence. The focus will be on developing machines that can learn and adapt to changing environments. Exciting times, and I'm okay with it as long as those machines are not bionic bugs. So let's turn to bionic bug. Last week, Lara learned the identity of the mysterious scientist behind the bionic bugs. The chapter ended with a strange invitation to meet up at the Basilica of the National Shrine. Let's find out what happens next. Chapter 19, The Proposition. The driverless cab pulled up to the right side of Harewood Street, which ran adjacent to the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. A toneless robotic voice announced Lara's arrival. She'd admired the church many times from different vantage points throughout the city, but had never actually visited. She looked up in awe at the blue and orange mosaic-covered dome, the regal entrance, and the giant tower of the limestone building. From every angle, the basilica was simply breathtaking. The impressive structure sat high upon a hill on the grounds of the Catholic University of America and held the honor of being both the largest Catholic church in the United States 
and the tallest inhabitable building in the nation's capital. Passing through the front doors, Lara found the interior of the shrine eerily quiet. A few priests meandered silently through the corridors, a handful of tourists lingered in the main sanctuary, admiring the architecture and masterpiece works on display. Otherwise, the basilica was empty. Lara had used her phone to learn more about the basilica on the way. The confessionals were located next to the crypt on the basement level in the chapel of Our Lady of Hostine. She trod carefully down the stone stairs, the clacking sound of her shoes echoing off the granite walls. She shivered as the damp, cool air of the basement drifted up toward her. I am about to meet the man behind the beetles. I hope he's ready for me, because I'm ready for him. Though a potential suspect, Lara couldn't piece together any reasonable motivation for Fiddler to kill Sully. Still, he was up to something. Of that much, she could be sure. At the very least, Fiddler might be able to give her some information about Sully's killer. The floor and walls of the large confessional room were made of polished granite. Only a few people were making their confessions. Empty pews stood in the center of the room, a waiting area for busier times. It had been years since Lara made her last confession, and she had no intention of changing that anytime soon. Across from the entrance, a total of nine confessionals with unmarked wooden doors, three on each wall. Lara looked left to right, trying to figure out what the message had meant. She took, a, she took a step toward the first confessional on the right wall and then stopped in her tracks. Turning her head, her eyes darted to the first confessional, to the left of the door. Which one is supposed to be the last confessional? The confessional designated as the last one depended on the direction. Did Fiddler mean left or right? Most people tend to turn to the right when they enter a room, but Fiddler was not most people. She walked across the room and grabbed the handle. If she'd chosen correctly, the first confessional would be on the left side. Lara opened the wooden door and stepped inside. The dimly lit stall was constructed entirely out of dark, grainy wood and contained a bench and a shelf with an open Bible. Lara sat on the bench and looked expectantly at the screen on the side wall. No one was there. After a few minutes of silence, a cool burst of air drafted through the screen and she detected a rich, sweet fragrance that reminded her of Anita's office. Jasmine? A pleasant smell gave her the chills. I was worried you couldn't make it, a cool, cold, smooth voice said from behind the screen. The voice sounded different than she expected. Younger. Are you John Fiddler? Lara asked, her voice quivering slightly. Yes. Lara rubbed her clammy hands together. What do you want from me? I want to get to know you better. I feel like we haven't had the chance, and yet we spend so much time together. The thought of him watching her made her flesh crawl. What do you want? Lara asked again, this time more loudly. Why must you always cut to the chase? His voice became sharper. Patience is a virtue you should learn to value more. I've been watching you. I'm fascinated by how you work. Did you kill Sully? Lara asked, her voice strained. Why would I do that? Sully worked for me. He was helping me. Did you try to burn down my townhouse? Lara pressed. I called you here. I will ask the questions and direct this conversation. Do we have an understanding? His tone switched from cold to hostile. Yes, Lara's body stiffened and she shot a glance at the door. If she needed to, she could make a run for it. It was a straight shot from the confessional room to the staircase. Fiddler was a 60-year-old man and would be no match for her, even with her weakened lungs. 
Plus, there were still people milling about the room, going to and from confessionals, and there would be priests waiting in some of them. Fiddler wouldn't attack her in public. Would he? Lara licked her lips and folded her hands together to stop them from trembling. Good, Fiddler said. Now I want to clarify further rules of our engagement. I know you met with my daughter today. You will not speak with her again. Lara remained silent. I would like an answer from you that indicates you've heard and understand what I've said. Do you understand that you are not to speak to my daughter or involve her in any way? He said each word carefully. Yes, Lara said. Good. I also know you're working with the FBI. I'm not actually working with, don't take me for a fool, Fiddler hissed. I know full well you're cooperating with that miscreant, Special Agent Martin. You will no longer have any more dealings with him, do you understand? The hairs on her arms stood on end and her skin prickled. Yes, Lara replied in a placating voice. The feds had jurisdiction over incidents involving biological weapons. It wasn't really her choice anymore, but she'd tell a fiddler whatever he wanted to hear. Okay, let's get down to business. I've done my research. I know about your finances and fledgling business, that you've accumulated over $10,000 worth of debt, and that you can't pay the bills. And now you're working Sully's homicide case practically for free. Lara winced at the reminder. He was right. She didn't do something quick. She be wouldn't be able to pay the rent, and her landlord would evict her. What do you want? Lara asked. I want you to take Sully's place, Fiddler said. What do you mean? I want to hire you as my private detective. Lara furrowed her brow. To do what? I want you to investigate Cybershop and discover his or her true identity. And what if I'm not interested? Lara asked. She pulled a tissue out of a box by her feet and dabbed her skin. Despite the chilly air in the basement, beads of sweat formed on her forehead. Oh, you'll be interested if I pay you $100,000, Fiddler said. 50k up front and another 50k when Cybershop is in custody. Lara paused, unsure how to respond. The money was tempting, but could she work for him? Suppose I agree to work for you. What can you tell me about Cybershop? Lara knew it was a long shot, but maybe she could get some useful information out of him. I've met Cybershop before. Oh? Lara nearly jumped from the bench. What does Cybershop look like? Fiddler remained silent for several minutes. Lara could hear the sound of scratching on paper coming from his stall. What's he doing? Cybershop set up my son-in-law as a traitor and killed my family. His voice trailed off. Lara did a double take. What do you mean, killed your family? Will you take the job or not? Fiddler rasped. Who did Cybershop kill? Your grandson? Last chance, yes or no? Lara thought she heard a tremor in his voice this time. She sat in silence and contemplated what, amount, what the amount of money would mean for her, for her business. It would literally change her life. Technically, I'm already investigating Cybershop. What's the harm in taking money for it? But work for Fiddler? If Rob was right about him, he was a criminal, or worse, a man-man planning a biological attack. Any affiliation with Fiddler would be risky for her career and might even jeopardize her freedom. No, the money isn't worth the risk. I'm not interested, Lara said firmly. She put her hands on the bench next to her, ready to spring into action if needed. You will come to regret your decision, Fiddler said, his voice quivering. 
If you do not take my offer sooner or later, I'll make sure of it. Lara bit her lip. She didn't like the sound of the threat, and the shift in atmosphere between them puzzled her. A loud thump came from Fiddler's stall. She jumped up and opened the door. The door to the priest's stall beside her squealed as it swung back and forth. Lara searched the stall, but Fiddler had left nothing behind, except for a sickly, sweet smell of jasmine. Before she left, she glanced at the open Bible. The heading on the page read Exodus 8. The verses 20 through 23 were underlined in pen. The Lord commands you to let his people go so they can worship him. If you don't, he will send swarms of flies to attack you, your officials, and every citizen of your country. Houses will be full of flies, and the ground will crawl with them. The Lord's people in Goshen will, won't be bothered by the flies, but your people in the rest of the country will be tormented by them. That's how you will know that the Lord is here in Egypt. Growing up in the Catholic Church, Lara was familiar with the ten plagues God had sent against Egypt as punishment for not letting his people go. Did he cross out the word flies to replace it with? Lara shuddered at the idea of a plague of deadly beetles. Is Fiddler planning on punishing someone for something? If so, why would he tell me? Lara's ears perked up at the sound of footsteps echoing from the stairwell. She pushed out the swinging stall door, exited the room, and raced up the stairwell two stairs at a time in pursuit of Fiddler. By the time she got to the top step, her lungs burned as she struggled to catch her breath, but she kept running down the hallway as fast as she could. Damn that fire! As she rounded the corner toward the main stairs, she collided with a nun dressed in formal garb. At the force of the impact, the nun fell to the floor in a heap. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, ma'am, Lara said. What in the world are you rushing about for, young lady? Death comes soon enough. We shouldn't bring it upon ourselves with haste, the old woman said as she straightened her skirts to cover her legs as she sat on the floor. I was, um, are you okay? Lara asked as she craned her neck around the nun only to see an empty hall. I have lost him. She pushed aside her frustration and turned her attention back to the nun. I think so, the woman grumbled, feeling her arms and legs as if to inspect for injury. Lara reached out to help the woman to her feet, using her one good arm. Still, her chest burned and her other arm throbbed as the nun used Lara to steady herself as she stood. Again, I'm so very sorry, Lara said. You wouldn't have happened to see a man run by here. Well, if you mean a young man racing toward death as quickly as you, he ran past me and out the front door. The nun glared at Lara, lips pursed, as if expecting a few more apologies. But what she'd said piqued Lara's interest, distracting her from any attempt at exaggerated platitudes. Young man? Thank you. Again, very sorry about bumping into you, Lara said, adding a second apology as an afterthought. Lara ignored the nun's open mouth and crossed arms as she stepped around her. She jogged to the door, stopped on the outside landing, she searched the landscape until she spotted a man sprinting across the grounds, perhaps a tenth of a mile away. That's way too fast for a six-year-old. Let's go behind the scenes. It's been a while since I've done one of these. Um, so particularly this chapter, I had this um, meeting go down at the National um, Basilica um, and the reason I chose this particular location, um, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., um, the Basilica is this absolutely beautiful, stunning, 
um, cathedral that is sitting up on a hill um, in northeast DC and you can see it from many different locations and um, I get to see it every day on the way home. I have a fantastic view of it from my drive up North Capitol and uh, so it just resonates with me and I thought what what a cool place for a potential mysterious meeting. Um, hopefully at some point I'll get an opportunity to get over there and do uh, some video and put out maybe a bionic bug on location video as a extra bonus uh, for my listeners. So we'll see about that. Uh, so uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the bionic bug podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.